Hi everyone, my name is Jolene and I'm going to be finishing off our series on breaking points and talking about breaking points in marriage. I know there's a danger with um, the series of, that it can for many stir up a lot of pain because some of us have passed the breaking point. But as I start, I just want to say to everyone that is in that season, or maybe you're in a season of singleness where just hearing about relationships is something you don't want to hear about. Um, I would like to just say that, you know, we are part of a, a church family and to um, give us some grace as we push into this topic and just to know that, um, you know, as a church family, I guess we all feel the same way about relationships. We want them to thrive and be godly. Um, and I think the beauty of church community is even the things that we feel have defined us and labels that we have on ourselves isn't necessarily the way others see us. And so I love being part of God's kingdom where even things that have been failures in my own life have been things I've been able to turn around for a testimony. And so as we go on this journey together and we mention words like divorce, marriage, that sort of thing, I hope it really doesn't stir up any pain um, for anyone, but rather as a family, we we um, cheer marriages on and are so for those who, who need rescuing and need help um, or just need uh, to protect their marriages. So um, as we push in, there's also so many areas we could cover when it comes to marriage. Um, and I'm going to point you in a direction of a few good resources because there is so much that could be said. There's so many finer details and unique things to each of our marriages, but we're going to look at a few principles and really what God calls us to. And before we look at breaking points and how we get there, I really want to call us back to covenant. The danger with um, sometimes just living in the world and, and not always having God's word, uh, you know, with us all the time on, on relevant topics. Sometimes we we form our opinions more on what the world says and marriage, we can often be so influenced by what's happening around. And I feel that we need to let God's word define us and look at what it really means to be in a covenant with another person, because essentially that that is what marriage is. And so I think the first thing is that a covenant is a beautiful partnership um, based on actually a love relationship. Not all covenants are, but the covenant of, of God and, and mankind and the covenant of um, marriage is really based on a love relationship. Um, the Bible has that image of a cord of, of three. In Ecclesiastes, it's not specifically about marriage, but it's a really beautiful one because it kind of, you get the image of a of a plait being intertwined and obviously, well, not obviously, but the cord of three is is God, my spouse, and my spouse, and myself. Did I say spice? I meant spouse. Um, and so God, my spouse, and myself. And so the three of us form this beautiful bond and together um, we move in this love relationship. Those who do not know and love God do not have that that um, bond of three that we can, we have the privilege of having in a covenant marriage. The next thing is that it's God's design and not a church idea. And the reason I say it, well, let me first read the verse to you and then I'll tell you why I'm saying and bring us back to the idea that it's a God design and not ours is that Malachi 2 verse 13 says this, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and, your, and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And so God sees the unfaithfulness and when marriages fall apart, and he's a part of it. And, and that verse speaks about it and it speaks and uses the word covenant. 
And I think the reason I want to draw your attention to it is that um, so often when we fall into breaking a covenant, um, people get upset with what the church has to say. And they kind of always bring us back to grace and God covers everything. Um, but it's not that the church is obsessed with saving marriages and, and throwing God's word back at people. Um, we're just seeking to honor what God says and what he points us to. And so covenant is a beautiful thing. And we mustn't get upset when people draw us back to the truth of it. Um, we are a godly community that is bound by love of God and, and his word and honoring him. And so often that means having hard conversations. And I don't know about you, but I've been on the receiving end of many tough conversations in church community. And for a lot of them, it's been my saving grace as I could have lost my way. And so I want to be around people that aren't just yes men. Um, I want to be around people who who call me to God's word and truth. And so I think we can appreciate that. Matthew 16 verse 26 is that wonderful verse, um, that stark reality. What good is it if a man gains a whole world only to lose his soul? What good is it if we just left you to do what made you happy, but you lost your faith along the way? Next, it's a covenant that should reflect our walk with God. Um, because in a way, the Bible often speaks about the imagery of marriage and, and how he loves the church. And, and he uses those analogies. And so when a marriage, marriage is going well in this covenant relationship, um, it really is a testimony to the unbelieving world. Um, a covenant of marriage has, has, does have terms and conditions that goes past what you, you signed at, the, at your lawyers and the contracts that you signed, but biblical um, terms and conditions. And those look very different to, to the ones that might be in your marriage contract. The Bible is full of commandments to married people um, on how to stay pure and how to walk within your marriage. And then it's a covenant that makes us one flesh. Isn't it just the most amazing mystery? It's one of those that I, I still don't fully understand how my husband and I are one. I'm currently at home. The kids are napping. He's at work. I'm recording here. He has no idea that I'm recording, but we are one flesh. There's this beautiful mystery that comes out in Genesis 2 verse 24 that says, um, for this reason, um, a man leaves his father and mother and he's united he, to his wife and they become one flesh. For me, it's as mind-blowing as, as trying to understand a lot of other spiritual truths like the Trinity and, and things that are really hard to grasp. It's a beautiful mystery. And then there's also power in covenant. And, and so when a covenant was made, it was a very powerful and significant thing. Um, for me, you know, a wedding is such a beautiful celebration, not just because of the romance, but because we're celebrating what that covenant really means. And so when a marriage is going well, it is one of the most powerful forces in the world. When you are in a godly family and you start even having godly offspring, when a marriage is thriving, it can be so powerful. But the flip side can also happen where when a marriage is doing badly, it can cause devastation. I kind of see it like the rock that you throw into the water and the ripples just, because we've built our life together, they just go on and on. And so the damage to community when a, when a marriage doesn't thrive um, is also huge. And that's also why the church seems to have um, a bit of an obsession and, and even actually non-Christians with saving marriages because we don't want to see kids get hurt. We don't want to see financial ruin. We don't want to see broken people. And most importantly, we don't want to see this beautiful covenant broken. And the crazy thing is, is that you often see that when people choose to, to, um, to kind of break this covenant, 
it, it does cause so much pain and heartache, not just with the couple, but with those around them. And my last point on covenant is that breaking a covenant is a serious thing. You think that it's not that serious. And, and often when I've spoken to people that are in a bad marriage space, they, they will often highlight how, well, we all sinners, everyone in the church has things they're covering up or, or aren't honest about. And, and that's true. In the sight of God, sin is sin and we're all sinners. But we need to realize that when you choose to step out of covenant, when you choose to, to break a vow that you've made before God, the consequences are serious. And sometimes the consequences to sin are completely different. And so I think that's what we try and protect people from. We don't want to, as I mentioned earlier, see people getting hurt and the pain that it causes. And something that I've noticed nine times out of 10 is just that people will start out saying they're absolutely fine with God, but it will become more and more evident that the relationship with God um, has drifted as they, as they choose to break out of covenant. So don't think that you can break covenant and that it's not a serious thing. It's an incredibly serious thing. If you look at the life of David, and we don't have time to go into it, but if you look at his life and you look at just the, the areas that, that he fell in, God definitely forgave him. He definitely was made right before God, but he definitely still carried consequences to what he had done. And it's quite hectic if you study his life and just the, the pain that he had to, had to suffer later. It's not something that we wish on people that, that fall into sin, but we just have to be realistic about the things that we engage in. Galatians 6 verse 7 to 9 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And for me, that really just speaks into the whole area of people sinning and just believing that grace will cover them. Choosing to step into a wrong relationship, into divorce, into breaking a covenant and thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do this one thing to please my flesh and then I'll say sorry to God. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about stepping out of God's will, breaking your word. And so we need to realize the seriousness of it. And now if we look at what gets us to breaking point, what is the pressure and for us, we've seen a lot more of it. Um, if you've spoken to your friends, family, within the church, um, that COVID has almost created a new pressure and maybe fast-tracked a lot of things that were happening. So we need to look at almost the spectrum of breaking point, not just the people that are about to, to break and crack and are starting to use words like divorce and I think we should separate, but even those that are just starting to see bad trends in their marriage. Um, and I think we just need to be so aware that there's an attack on families, an attack on marriage, that um, the devil seems to have a field day when there, when there are hard times in history, when war happens, when there is, you know, even things like water restrictions can cause strife in people's homes um, because the devil will use any foothold he can um, to get into our home and break up our marriage. If God is for covenants, you must realize that the devil wants to break them. And we need to be aware of what is happening. Um, and once again, I used the rope image, the cord of three. So now I want to use the tug of war image. Something that I always laugh at a little bit is when kids have tug of war and um, they all start out on two separate sides. You clearly divide them. And before you know it, the sides are mixed up and there's one pulling that side and 10 that side. And it's this crazy battle. But 
marriage can so easily go from this cord of three into feeling like we're in a tug of war with our spots and we're both pulling in different directions. So how do we look at these challenges and, and where do we find ourselves? And I just want you to think about your own marriage if you're in one and just reflect on if any of these resonate with you. And the first is if we have to liken it to, um, to, to the, the things we have to probably be the most concerned about um, it, it, and, and things that are, are almost like you'll stop, don't go any further, there's a red light. Um, I would start with those and just say that, that, you know, if you find yourself in a marriage where there are addictions, where there is pornography, where there's a third party involved, um, where there's an abuse of medication or drugs or alcohol, where there's incessant fighting, where you're starting to have conversations about divorce, that is you've reached breaking point. And you need to get help straight away. For me, that is when you, you know, if it was a medical emergency, that's when you would be rushing to the ER. Um, you don't want to let a marriage that has reached that stage. You need to realize how serious it is. You're past um, treating things in an in-house secretive manner. It needs to come to the light. So often partners don't know why um, their marriage is just seems to be stuck or seems to have got so ugly. And then they'll find out there's a third party involved or, or you know, there's this other force in their marriage like pornography you shouldn't treat those in-house that's when you need someone else because often it involves one person um, almost in a sense abusing the covenant and and hurting it and damaging it and and you're too deep in it to to just sort it out by yourselves and so at that stage I would encourage you straight away um, be honest to your spouse you might be sitting here this morning and be hiding secrets you need to stop that um, a marriage is never going to thrive. And people who think, oh, I can just sort this out myself. I can break the habit myself. No, these things are bigger than us and we need to reach out for help. Um, and so I just want to say there that we, yeah, we, we as a church are supportive and we have ways that we can help and network with people who can help you. Um, but just you need to reach out and take the first step. Then Song of Songs talks about the little foxes. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that were in the vineyards, are vineyards that are in bloom. And the amazing thing about this verse is that it's actually written in the, kind of in the midst of extreme love and passion. If you've read the book of Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, um, you know, it's, it's a man and a woman speaking to each other in beautiful love. And it's interesting because I think the little foxes can come in when our marriages are going actually really well. But there's a danger as we do life together of, of over-familiarity, um, dropping our guard, and, and soon these things can be the very things that, that destroy our marriage. Um, I always think, how would I, you know, if people at work saw me speaking like this at home, how would they feel? Um, would we speak to our colleagues and friends the way we speak to our spouse? And so we need to wear those things up. And um, so just to focus, I've spoken about the big things in, in the relationship, but but um, they are the little things that creep in. And for most part, it is, it is often in the area of communication. And uh, as I was re um, researching and preparing, I found it's called the four, um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, not the New Testament four horsemen, but it is based on that. Um, but the things in your marriage that can um, destroy it. And there was a, 
a gentleman called Gottman and he had done a lot of research and um, into marriage and he could almost predict which marriages would survive or not by the way couples were speaking to each other and how their communication was going down. And so um, it's interesting and, and I'm going to put the slide up because um, I don't want to go into too much, but you can really, for most couples, I think you could probably identify these in your marriage and, and see them as areas to work in. And, and not also don't look at what your spouse is doing. Maybe use this time to analyze, have any of these crept into the way that you are communicating. Um, but before we start, I want to start with this challenge from Ephesians 4 verse 29 that says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I know I've applied that verse to my life in many other ways, but... Could you apply to your marriage? You should be. Um, and as, as we look at these, let, let's remember those verses and the command from God to be kind and compassionate, to, to let the negative words stay away and, and just speak words of life to our spouse. So the first horseman is criticism. And criticism is different to, to speaking seriously when someone's done something wrong and speaking about it and dealing with issues in a legitimate way. Criticism really has to do with attacking the person's character, the you always do it this way, you don't, you know, and, and just kind of bringing up and highlighting weaknesses. Criticism is such a bad habit and it's almost like constantly shining the torch on areas of a person's life and often they're based on small elements of truth. Um, criticism doesn't have to do with with really what the other person has done wrong. It's this pattern that we can get into. And the, the dangerous thing is that criticism is a, it's kind of opening up the can of worms. It can open up um, the other negative behavior. And so it's not the, the deadliest of horsemen, but it can lead us to, to more, more deadlier um, ways of communicating in our marriage. The next is content, and, and that really is, is getting to the, the mean stuff. When you start getting a little bit nasty to your spouse, the body language you use, the rolling of your eyes, the harsh tone, the um, almost kind of developing a grudge towards them, your life is harder, what you had to achieve in your day was harder than what they had to achieve, the way you have to do the home and the household chores and um, you just start getting angry with them about them not maybe sharing the load and once again there might be very good reason um, for, for why you feel that way um, but contempt is not the way to deal with it. And then defensiveness. Defensiveness is is often a, um, a like a it's a response to criticism, and so often it comes about once again a very legit. All of these you could have actually um, very legitimate excuses for for acting this, in this way, but it doesn't make it right or healthy for the marriage, and it doesn't solve the problems. So defensiveness is just almost closing off any opportunity to change. There's always a reason why I didn't do or did do something that I did. And so the minute the person shares their heart with you, you come up with it, but you always do this and, and just bounce it back. 
the one of the most wonderful things about marriage is that you can be in a refining relationship where the person makes you more Christ-like. Um, sometimes it isn't always easy, but at the end of a good and healthy marriage, you should be able to say, um, in my lifetime, this person has made me more like God. Defensiveness stops you from becoming more Christ-like because you're not hearing the things that the person's needing. It's also making you more important. It's protecting yourself from hurt. The interesting thing that they also did in their research is that they also found that with a lot of these um, people were, that were in households where this was rife um, were actually unhealthier. And so they were more prone to even just getting infections and colds. So, you know, that, that saying, it's a proverb, a cheerful heart is good medicine. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and then the last of the horsemen is stonewalling. And, and stonewalling is just closing up. It's exactly what the word says. It's kind of putting a wall up and just going mm -mm, and, and backing off. Sometimes it can be more subtle. I need to go do the dishes. I need to cook the dinner. You know, I need to do this and that. Um, and, and there are things we can do to almost halt the conversation. Sometimes it can be things like picking up our phone and just scrolling through it while the other person's talking and blocking them off. There are kind of it's ways you, you, you kind of put in place, things you put in place to stop the conversation. And so if you can see on the diagram, there's some good solutions on the other side. But um, I'm not going to speak more about it because there's not that much time and there's some very good resources online. If you Google the four horsemen in the relationship, you will get some very good counsel. On, on, and it's actually quite simple, but there's some really nice clips that, that deal, deal with it. But we need to move on. So I'll leave you with a good resource in your hand. And then the next thing that we need to in our marriages be careful of is life circumstances. They can get us to breaking point. Whether these styles of communication can kind of lead us there. Sometimes we can find ourselves or have life throw some situations at us that can get us there very quickly. Things like kids, unemployment, um, empty nest syndrome, um, working too hard. Sometimes extreme wealth or extreme poverty can get us there just being focused on other things in life having a midlife crisis, sometimes health issues. Um, often the brokenness that I bring into my marriage from my past, um, for so many, it is so difficult because we really are, I guess, the, the sum of, of how we've been raised and what's happened to us at school and the hurts and the fears that we have. But if we let those dominate our lives, it can often um, hijack, hijack a, a marriage. And then we also have mental health issues, which can so easily, when the person isn't, kind of um, almost, and I don't say it in a derogatory way, but not in their right mind. And, and you're just not in that good place to be able to heal and work at relationship. And, and in, if, if you see a person that has a complete change and a swing, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it can be chemical issues, hormonal. Those are normal things that happen in life. And we shouldn't be ashamed of those. And for these issues, once again, we do need to reach out to others because often we need um, someone else in our community just supporting us through it and helping us. Someone that's often, what's very helpful here is people who've had a similar journey. And if we can connect with people that can totally relate, it's really hard if you've had a mental health issue, it's really hard to speak to someone who, who never has because they often just don't understand. And, and so finding a couple or someone who you can speak to who can relate and give good advice um, and for all of these, I just want to say that, that once again, uh, it is important. I guess you don't have to, in every situation, speak to someone. But with all of these, it really does help to reach out. But we'll speak, we'll speak about that later. So there are a few solutions. There are a few choices you face when your marriage is heading to breaking point. 
And it's a choice that both partners have to make in the marriage. And that's what do we do? Where do we go from here? How, how do we deal with it? And divorce is an option. It, you know, biblically, you can all say, well, it's not an option for me. And that's great. But actually, our country allows marriages to dissolve. So divorce is an option. And sometimes we can glamorize it. And so I do need to speak into that because we feel like it's a good option. And often when we're in a bad um, circumstance, we feel like taking a different step. Um, and just getting out of the, the particular circumstance that we find ourselves will make us happy. But we mustn't fool ourselves to think that divorce, that the grass is always green on the other side. I heard a very good talk a while back and the guy was speaking about the price that we pay um, for divorce. And he spoke about how divorce can so often ruin a person. He spoke about the financial implications in America, or I think he's Canadian. Um, he spoke about how a divorce on average could cost $250,000. And, and that can just be in setting up two new homes, legal expenses, money wasted, that sort of thing. So it becomes um, everything that you've worked for seems to get dissolved and wasted in this in the sea of divorce. He spoke about how if you've got kids in, in a divorce, you never really can divorce a person. Um, you are going to have to co-parent and be in some sort of relationship with them for the rest of your life. I think divorce, many people just want to be apart from this person, but, but it's not true. Once you take kids on the journey with you, it becomes very tough because things like, um, you know, maybe you wish you could be with another person, but... but um, you have to really consider you're not dating alone. Um, the kids will always be in competition to, to the person you're dating. They won't love their kids unless, you know, some people have a beautiful heart and can love kids. But for the most part, you know, it, it's really, you have to consider, um, is this person going to really love my children in a pure way? Are they going to be a threat to my children? And so you're not just dating alone. So I think we can idealize this. Oh, the world's my oyster. I'm just going to go and date and find the next best thing. Um, and it doesn't always work like that. He spoke about how how being um, getting divorced can almost be like living with a non-terminal cancer, where it's this daily thing that wears you down. Um, it wears at your emotional health. It it just kind of um, can get you to the end of your tether. He said it often um, for for most people can take ten to fifteen years to recover. And um, just because of the rejection issues, the fighting, the anger that it brings about, the, the messiness, the having to rebuild your life, maybe change jobs. And so he speaks about even just how, how when a father chooses to leave um, the home and, and just the implications that that has. And I'm not gender stereotyping here, but it, it, for most parts in most families, it is the father who doesn't get the kids full time. And I know the exceptions to that, but this re particular research that I want to highlight, and I'm sure there would be other stats that could, could talk about if women walked out because both are very hurtful. So I'm not, I'm not highlighting or blaming men in any way, um, but he spoke about in, in, um, when they looked at the Center for Disease Control for Children, um, they were speaking about what these issues that kids faced. And they said that in fatherless homes, in runaways, 90% of them came from fatherless homes. In suicide, 63% of them came from fatherless homes. And 71% of kids that were high school dropouts came from fatherless homes. We need to realize that ripple effect that a divorce will cause. And you could say, yes, well, you know, our unhappy marriage and all the bickering, um, that's not great either. Well, no, it's not, <laughs> but you can sort that out. 
divorce is permanent. And if you choose to work at your marriage, in my theory, and I know it's in a sense could seem quite naive, but if you're placed on an island with someone and maybe it was someone at school that you really didn't like and you would never be friends with, um, and it was just you and them and you had no choice, you would very soon get over your issues and choose to become friends, even if it wouldn't be your first choice, because that was your only choice. And if you see your partner's their only choice, it doesn't sound great because we don't want to, you know, I don't want Jono to see me as his only choice. But there are times where we just have to be called back to this is all I have and this is what I need to work at. And although it's not a nice label to have as the only choice, sometimes those, that is the glue that will hold the marriage and the covenant together. And so we need to be committed to working at it. And maybe the price tag for healing a marriage, well, I'm not saying maybe, actually I can say with certainty, the price tag for healing a marriage is a lot less than the price tag of divorce. Don't be fooled into thinking that that is the only solution. And don't be fooled into thinking your life is going to be awesome if you can just shake your spouse off. Ironically, we take ourselves with us when we move out of the marriage. And usually that's our biggest mistake in the marriage is how we have conducted ourselves. On the flip side, uh, many people may say that divorce is the best thing that they've ever done. And sometimes there's an element of it. You, you just chose to, to walk out or your spouse chose to walk out on you and went your separate ways and you rebuilt your life and it looks really successful. But we still have to be honest about it and just go, you know, if, if God has restored it and he, you've gone on a journey of restoration and you, you're on track with God, then that is great. And it probably is. There's fruit to test true restoration and repentance. Um, but for many, um, best thing, is it really? Was it the best thing for you? Um, and does the best thing for you still mean it was at the price of breaking a covenant? So it actually felt right, but but it's still sinful. And these are the hard things to say and why I almost didn't want this topic to speak on, but we have to be honest about God's word and about truth. And so I'm sorry if that offends anyone, but you know, would your kids say that your divorce was the best thing you ever did? Would your bank balance say it? Would, would your community, was the mom-in-law and the father-in-law that you had to break relationship with, would they all say it's the best thing that you ever did? And so... I know one thing for certain, that, that God's word and honoring his word is the best thing that we can do. There are some people, and I remember one person who I grew up um, in, a, who I grew up with in our community, an adult, and I remember just the most beautiful, godly person, and she just stuck in a difficult marriage. And she's with the Lord right now, but, but when I think about someone who just chose to honor God's word and she lived a beautiful life and she had fulfilling relationships and um, friendship and uh, she loved God's word. And um, there are so many beautiful characteristics around her, but I don't think anyone would have ever described or she would have described her marriage as beautiful. But I'm sure God honored her <laughs> and I will see in heaven one day. But there's there's something about also just honoring a promise, even when it comes at the cost of our personal happiness. And we need to decide which camp we're going to go in. And that's probably the hardest part of this message, because I know for many, it means giving up personal happiness in this lifetime, should our partner not choose to move forward with us and work at the marriage. But for many, that is the exception. And, and, if you are committed to God and in a godly relationship, I just want to call both of you in the marriage to work at it. You might think that everything is wrong with your spouse and, and they're the ones pushing you to breaking point. 
but actually all you can do is start with yourself. And so I have a few just very basic suggestions, but I think good ones. Um, the first is to to start restoring commitment, to start restoring co- covenant. The first covenant that will not, it doesn't always work like this, but because some um, become uh, Christians only after marriage. But, you know, for many, you start with the covenant of your walk with God. It doesn't, doesn't actually matter which order it's in anyway. But um, for I would suggest start with the most important, and that's your relationship with God. Have you got stale? Is the Holy Spirit still leading you? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you showing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you putting the armor of God on in your life? Are you applying God's word to your life? Or have you become stale? Because if you live according to the flesh, that's where you're going to reap the benefits. And that's what you're going to kind of, that's going to be your your true north. But if you live according to the Spirit, He will be your true north. And if you're not, the rest of the the things we try to do to remedy marriages, they're just good tips. They're things that we can do. um, But I wouldn't want to do it without God because the Holy Spirit helps me in my weaknesses. In fact, that is what religion is. It's trying to do God without God. And it's the same is that I don't want to do restoring my marriage without God. And so the first thing I call you to is restore your covenant relationship with God. Tell your spouse you're doing it and encourage them to do the same. Take a week, take a, if you need some time by yourself, go for walks, do something, get some space to get your heart right before God. Then the next step is to, to then renew your covenant with your spouse. Make a, draw a line in the sand. I, I mentioned it, I think at the beginning of lockdown about a year ago, I remember preaching and I don't actually remember what I was speaking about. So you probably don't either. Um, but, I, you know, I spoke about that whole, um, oh, I think it was something about lockdown and actually having an effect on our families too. But I said, you know, I'd read a really good article and the, the, the psychologist's suggestion is just stop, just call a truce, draw a line in the sand and, and just stop what you're doing. And, and sometimes it takes, especially when our relationships have started to get those, those four horsemen in place, the, the little niggles, the little things that are destructive. Um, agree to both stop. Take those positive steps that, that are mentioned on the website or in the image that I, that I showed you and, and, and start doing those proactively. Start renewing your love for your spouse. You were the one that chose to enter, unless you're in an arranged marriage, um, you were the one that chose to step into that relationship with them. You're the one that chose to make that covenant, the for better or for worse. It's so funny because often the things that we love most about the person can often be the things that that can often creep in and irritate us the most. And I, I laugh about that with Jono and I laugh about it with other people when we speak about it because it's just a funny thing. And it's a beautiful thing too because you can restore it and turn it around or God can restore it to, to that thing you love about them again. So we can start working on the covenant and that promise because that's what's going to keep us in and get us working at it. So often couples think the first thing you need to do is just rush in and get all the pointers and the tips. I think you just need to get your heart right first and get it in a place where you want to learn and you want to work at your marriage. And if you see these as non-negotiable commandments, our heart actually gets there a lot faster. Then the next step is to actually just be working at family life not neglected that so often when our when our marriages are falling apart they're very there are many other areas our personal lives our our health everything can get affected because we generally become unhappy so try and inject health into the rest of your life and fun and joy so that your kids can even see the changes that you're trying to put in place even if they don't know your marriage is in trouble 
And then the the last thing is um, stay in community, that covenant for community. When we walk away from a community, as much as you don't like these people that might be telling you the truth, um, might be giving you a hard time and not wanting you to walk out on your marriage. These are also the people that love you dearly and are going to lead you to God's word. So stay close to your covenant community. It's an important part is that as we start in these meetings again, there might be a little bit of a, um, a nervousness about coming back. But if you can come back into this controlled, I mean, you still, well, for the most part, we, we're in other communities where, where we, we are having to go to the shops. We're having to move on with life. And so maybe you should really consider, you know, church, we're doing everything to make it safe. And if you're battling, maybe you should come back to church and, and just be in that covenant community. And if not, maybe just be intentional. In if you're a high-risk person or you feel like you don't see yourself coming back anytime soon because of fear, just still be intentional and maybe meeting up with, with godly people from your community so that you don't cut yourself off. Because this has been probably one of the other huge negative things of the breaking point is that um, we've lost community and those who talk truth and life to us. And then, as I said, there's we as a church long to connect you with help. And if you feel like your marriage is needing help, um, as I said, from maybe the extreme that you're needing almost first aid on your marriage um, and, and that you're needing that professional care, we can connect you with Christian counselors, with psychologists, with psychiatrists, with whatever you need. Um, or if it's pastoral care you need, we can provide it too. We don't want to, we want to see marriages thrive. Um, we want to see families growing up, serving the Lord. We want to see your family stay together. I have such a heart in kids' ministry as I just see how um, divorce can often destroy a child's heart. And so for me, it's probably one of the biggest reasons I call people who have kids um, to stay in marriage and work it and be faithful to their promises is because of these beautiful children's hearts that just get devastated as a, they have to live with one parent or choose or just get caught in the tug of war. But most importantly, it's about that covenant, that promise you made. And even if it doesn't feel good, the Bible speaks about honoring God and a man honoring his word, even when it hurts. And I think that's what we need to be called back to. Even if it is hurting you to honor God's word, maybe you need to choose that above going with what you feel right now. That is what adulthood is. That is what Christianity is. That is what covenant is. It's saying that I'm sticking to this, even though it doesn't feel like it. That's a sign of maturity. But as I love to say, the Holy Spirit is here to help us in our weaknesses. God is greater and there's so much hope in him. And that's what we can have as an anchor right now. So I'm going to pray for us and, and we're going to cling to our anchor of hope. Lord, we know that we need you. We know that for many, there are marriages that have reached breaking point. And Father, we especially pray for those, those ones that are in need of immediate help. Lord, may every person who needs it have the strength to reach out and the boldness to reach out. Lord, there's no shame in reaching out. Often for many, um, that is where people have found help. And so I pray that there will be a boldness Lord, I pray for a protection over marriages that are heading towards breaking point, that we'll all be able to identify those little foxes, those things that might be creeping in that we need to tackle right now. And then, Lord, I also pray for anyone who finds himself in crisis, those points in a marriage that, that sometimes fast track breaking point. 
Lord, for some it's loss, for some it's heartache, for some it's just difficult circumstances. But Lord, you know, there's so many unique circumstances to marriage that can cause issues. And we don't even know about all of those and can't cover them. But Lord, you know. So I ask for grace and a covering. Lord, I also pray for anyone who may be hearing this. It's been um, something that stirred up emotion in them for whatever reason, but particularly for those that have a past hurt in this area. Lord, I pray for healing. I pray against things like offense and labels and, and things that can cause people to, to switch off. Lord, we know that in your community and in your kingdom, it's about love and growing each other and even helping others to not repeat the things that we have done. So Lord, may the things that we've experienced in the past become part of our story in a way to strengthen this community. Thank you that we have your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we have you. Thank you for so many beautiful marriages in our church that are a testimony to the fact that you can stick at a marriage even when it gets tough. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness and thanks for thinking up marriage and this beautiful covenant relationship. Amen.